0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. Um, Let's turn to Matthew chapter 9, verse 18 to 34. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will leave. And Jesus rose and followed him, with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I'll be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame throughout all that district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man, who was mute, was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the prince of demons. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Sister Sosa. It's so wonderful to hear God's word read uh, so expressively. Um, I hope that I can do likewise as I preach today. And it's just so wonderful to be here with everybody, with the people of God. I mean, there's so many reasons why uh, we may not be here today, but I pray that God would encourage every one of us uh, for being obedient to his word, to not forsake assembling together as the habit of some. Uh, before I preach, let us pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Uh, Because the name of Jesus is the name above every name. There's no name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved. And so, Lord, I pray today that Jesus uh, would be made clear from the text. I pray today that we'd realize that we need Jesus to overcome our greatest fears we need Jesus to overcome death we need Jesus to overcome every sickness and every disease and we need Jesus to overcome every evil spiritual force Lord I do ask that you'd remove all distractions from our mind even from mine as I preach Lord today Pray, Lord, that your word will go forth with power um, and that it would be a blessing to our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, Every one of us has fears, right? Uh, Whether you're someone who's often fearful or you consider yourself someone to be fearless. Uh, Fear is something that every one of us has to face. From the moment we're born until the day we die, every one of us has to face fears. With that in mind, in today's sermon, we're looking at three ways, and I mention them in my prayer, of how we as broken sinners uh, respond to fear. Jesus' displays of authority um, by demonstrating fearless faith. In Jesus, thank you. In Jesus, we can demonstrate fearless faith. Why? Because death is defeated. We can, dem- we can demonstrate fearless faith as well because disease will disappear. We can also demonstrate fearless faith because demons are dismissed. So let's just start by looking at how we can demonstrate fearless faith because death is defeated. So in the first account we see how Jesus rewards the faith of a ruler who in the face of fear requests his dead daughter to be raised to life. Now if I were to tell everybody in this room that there was a bomb right now how would you respond? You'd either believe me, depending on how trustworthy you know Brent's word to be, or my, your past encounters with me, or you could just ignore me thinking, oh, he's just given a sermon illustration. It's not that important. Um, but in a time, obviously, where recent, in recent history, where using the word bomb um, engenders such threats to us, it'd be right for you to at least second-guess my claim. Listen, now you can all breathe a sigh of relief. There is no bomb in this room, okay? As far as I know. Or is there? You see, every day, every one of us walks around with uh, with this ticking time bomb. And it's called death. It's our greatest fear. It's our worst nightmare. Nobody wants to taste death, yet everyone will face it. And this is what the ruler who approaches Jesus, um, he understands. He understands Jesus' authority, and he recognizes this as he comes to him. The man here is Jairus. He's a leader of the synagogue. And when facing the fear of death, the death of his daughter um, he displays fearless faith to raise her to life look with me at verse 18 if you would while he was saying these things to them behold a ruler came and knelt before him saying my daughter has just died but come and lay your hand on her and she will live and Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples here, Jairus, as we look at the text, he, he demonstrates fearless faith by doing what? He kneels at Jesus' feet. Just as the leopard did in chapter 8 that we read last week, he recognises Jesus as Lord. And in an environment uh, like last week, um, that had previously been surrounded by uh, opposition to Jesus, Jesus was being scorned by the Pharisees, if you remember. Despite this environment, despite this atmosphere, and knowing that it even may jeopardize Jairus' lofty position as a ruler of the synagogue, what does he do? He very easily could have said, why should I come to Jesus? That's beneath me. Why should I come to Jesus and risk my role? as a highly respected ruler of the synagogue. If that is you today, be warned that in spite of your high position and acclaim from others that you may be seeking, Jesus demands that you demonstrate fearless faith when you come to him. You must demonstrate fearless faith when you come to him because death is defeated. You see, Jairus places so much faith in Jesus that even after uttering these words, my daughter has just died, what is it followed up with? And obviously the the words, my daughter has just died, which is a, a parent's worst nightmare, he utters, yet she will live. For some of us who have lost children, whether that be children that have been taken in the womb or people like my mother-in-law who have lost children at such a young age. You, you would look at verse 23 and you'd think that the response seems appropriate. Look with me at verse 23. And When Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd, what were they doing? They were making a commotion. Gospel accounts report Jairus's daughter to be only 12 years old and his only child. It's a tragic situation of a promising life cut short by death. So the commotion's understandable, but according to Jesus, it's not. Look with me at verse 24. He said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand. And the girl arose, and the report of his, this went throughout all the district. Even though Jesus is laughed at, his fearless faith in his father to raise the girl to death, from death to life, gives us supreme confidence. It gives us supreme confidence So because Because of that, we can become boldly before the throne of grace, right, church? We can obtain mercy in our time of need. Jesus is saying that she's sleeping. It sounded ridiculous to those who were there. Why? Because they were without hope. Do you laugh at Jesus' claims in response to your fears? Or are you going to place fearless faith in him to defeat death? Now, I'm not saying that having a fear, a fear of death in the sense that we mourn with those who mourn and we're sad when people die. That's, that's, it's understandable. That's a temporary curse that's been placed upon all of us since creation. But this morning, if you display fearless faith in Jesus, let me tell you, you can be confident that death is not a part of the kingdom of God. for In Revelation 19, it even says that there will be no more need for flute players. Those same flute players that arrived at the house, these hired people that came to uh, assist the mourning process for that family, in Revelation we're told there will be no more need for flute players. Here Jesus, in this uh, In this situation, he's exercising the glory of his kingdom. The glory of his kingdom is that Jesus defeats death. God's one act of mercy, though, through Jesus himself, means we don't even have to follow a list of rules. We don't have to do numerous good things to overcome a fear of death. Jesus has already defeated death at the cross. He's freed us, church. He's freed us from its penalty, its power, and though his presence is still at work in our earthly experience, are you willing to potentially wait upon the Lord to fix you and your faith upon Jesus? Are you really trusting in the promised hope of the resurrection? Just like Jairus was. I said, are you willing to wait patiently on the Lord's To fix your faith upon Jesus for the promise of the resurrection. You see, if you understand that Jesus has the power over death. And he promises the ability to give life. Then you have believed him for who he truly is. And who is he? He's God incarnate. It's upon that belief that all of the remaining miracles that we see in the passage we're reading today, they just become a formality. If Jesus has authority over death, what do we have to be afraid of? This is why we can have fearless faith. And if we look at the next part of today's sermon, you can see that Jesus, um, in Jesus we can demonstrate fearless faith because disease will disappear. We see two examples in this text, don't we? We firstly look at the woman with the issue of blood, and then we see this example of two blind men uh, having their sight uh, restored in spite of their disease. If I were to ask everyone here, what impacted you the most during the pandemic, besides the obvious deaths resulting from the virus, what would you say? For some, it would be the fear of contracting COVID, whereas for others, it would be the fear of having to self-isolate and have, I guess, limited social interaction. For some of us, going into work and those obviously who were furloughed, we would have experienced one of those fears. But for some of us, we had to experience both. If you tested positive for COVID and you had to self-isolate, In other words, you experience both physical disease and social exclusion. Why am I saying this? It's it's clear as we look at uh, the account of the woman with the issue of blood. She faced a far worse situation than we experienced a year or so ago. Look with me at verse 20. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. What we discover is that for this woman, her situation is far worse, as I just mentioned. It's three-pronged. She faces the fear of what the disease means for her social life. She experiences the fear of what the disease means for her physical life. And probably even worse, she faces the fear of what the disease means for her spiritual life. We have to go all the way back to the Old Testament to understand why, why she was isolated from everyone. According to Leviticus 15, such bodily discharges would have prevented anyone from social interaction until they were well, made well, and con- considered ceremonially unclean. This involved no interaction with anyone at all. This law which seemed like uh, hard and difficult to follow was actually an act of God's mercy. It's a way of uh, preventing these diseases from spreading. They had to self-isolate. However, invariably, more than often, it was women and not men who were impacted the most by this law during their menstrual cycle. So ladies, imagine if once a month Not being able to gather with the church. Just imagine that now. For Once a month, not being able to gather with the church. Now again, imagine if that period was extended to 12 years. This was a big, big problem. Being away from God's people wouldn't only have affected her mental health, right? but it indicated a much more serious physical issue. In Mark 5, we read of how she suffered much. She had to give away a lot of her money. She was trying to get this all fixed. But what we discover is she was not better, but she was even worse. For this woman, her wish and her desire to worship with God's people... It wasn't only hindered because she should have been at home, but it was compounded because, unlike the ruler, at that time being a woman, she was already at the lowest position of a social hierarchy. Therefore, her disease, if you could imagine, it diminished her value diminished the value of her, that was already diminished um, in the eyes of society. That being the ability to be pure, to be able to uh, be able to reproduce. Now we're not given the entire details of what the illness looked like, but you can imagine that it engendered a lot of shame. And this shame, of course, it's going to be reinforced by her approaching Jesus. Look with me at verse 21. She said to herself, if only I touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. You see this woman, in spite of everything that's going on in her life, in spite of the 12 years she's had to isolate from being with the rest of God's people, she exhibits fearless faith in pursuing Jesus in order to receive healing. You see, until we place fearless faith in Jesus, we, like her, have no right to approach God. Why? Because our sin separates us from touching him. She should not have approached Jesus. She was a woman. It wasn't appropriate. She should have felt fear and shame. But what do we notice? She has confidence. Again, not one of us has any right to come to God because of our sins. We should feel ashamed, but if our faith is in Jesus, God will receive us. This is why we can be confident approaching God, and we need not be ashamed. Amen? Amen. Not only does Jesus fix her physical illness, but he affirms her spiritual health, doesn't he? He affirms her faith by giving her a word of comfort. Look at me at verse 22. Jesus turned and seeing her, said, "Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well." And instantly, the woman was made well. Here the woman is rewarded. Not Her faith isn't what necessarily she's rewarded for. Obviously it's through grace, but yes, she's welcomed into the family of God. And Jesus accordingly declares her as his adopted child. We heard this last week, didn't we? Are you willing to risk your reputation? Are you willing to risk humiliation and shame to affirm your adoption into God's family? This is the far greater miracle that she's accepted. She's been chosen, she's been affirmed by the Lord Jesus himself. Jesus doesn't want us to doubt his goodness. He wants to show it off and demonstrate it. It's exactly what he does, isn't it? He wants to encourage you when you exercise your faith. He's not a God that's pleased in watching us suffer. He's a God that's pleased in watching us overcome our fears. Do you know that he wants you to take heart? Do you? Do you know that Jesus wants you to take heart like he says to the woman? But unlike others, have perhaps done so in your life, he isn't just a soothsayer. He doesn't just say, well, well, it will be okay, dear, or well, well, it will be okay, son. He can say it will be well. Why? Because he has authority to heal every disease. Jesus possesses all authority, yet he has he's able to care for the minority. And just like the woman, this next example, the two blind men, they demonstrate fearless faith in spite of their disease. We read earlier how the woman... She says to herself, If only I could touch the hem of his garment. If only I could touch him. She says it to herself. It's an internal discussion she's having with herself. Yet we see in the example of the two blind men how do they approach Jesus? It says they cry out aloud Have mercy on us, son of David. For some of us, we come to the Lord quietly. And others, to him loud and in desperation. You see, how we come to God here is not really the focus of this sermon. God is far more concerned that we just come to him. However, for the two blind men, obviously the reason they're shouting is because they have no other choice. They discern Jesus passing by... And what do they do? They seize the opportunity to be healed. Perhaps that may be true of you today. Perhaps what it takes is needing you to cry out to the Lord, to cry out to him in prayer for clear spiritual vision. Amen. If you've ever been unable to see, not only is it inconvenient, it just makes life Just the basic things that we take for granted, impossible. Forget being able to balance correctly or even just the lack of independence. The limited accessibility that you have to activities and information. To be quite frank, being blind is terrifying. However, let me tell you something, your inability not to see spiritually should be even more terrifying. You can only see spiritually when, when Jesus restores your sight. And once that's happened, your life from that point should be filled with gratitude. And these men, you see, they they see their need, yet in spite of the obstacles, the the fact that they can't see, they, they pursue him, they strive to reach Jesus. They make use of every resource to bring themselves to Christ. They understood that they were already under his judgment and the physical blindness that they experienced was just a picture of the fear uh, that us as sinners face, uh, the judgment that we face and the inability to see Jesus for who he truly is. Unless he opens our eyes. Unless you display fearless faith, in Jesus, to open your eyes and to recover your spiritual vision, then you're in trouble. These two men understood that they were in trouble. They needed Jesus', Jesus marvelous mercy. Each one of us needs this marvelous mercy church. Each one of us needs Jesus to correct the deficit that we have spiritually to discern things. Because we're spiritually blind and face God's judgment if we don't repent, we must beg, we must plead for God's pardon and place fearless faith in him. And we see the two blind men, they respond briefly But they do it without hesitation, don't they? Look at me at verse 28. It says, when he entered the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. So Jesus is asking us today, Stockwell Baptist Church, do we believe that Jesus has the ability To heal the sickness of our sin. Do you? Do you believe that he's able to give sight to those in our community who are spiritually blind? Jesus is only waiting to hear a simple, yes Lord. Is there anyone here who wants to say, yes Lord? Thirdly, we can demonstrate fearless faith because demons are dismissed. So we've looked at how there are many ways in which uh, we can face fears. Death being one of them. What can be worse than that? And then we've looked at disease. Wow, what can be worse than that? But is there anything worse than being... Oppressed by demons, I would suggest that being physically incapacitated by demonic forces is worse than both being, uh, yeah, being blind or having uh, incurable disease. It almost combines both of them together, doesn't it? It's like a it's like a compounded illness. Not only are you isolated from society, as we saw. With the example of the demon possessed man in the, the chapter before, who was in the caves, cutting himself, and nobody wanted to be around him. He was out of his mind, he had no control over his body. We see here that this man is mute, he cannot speak, he has no voice. Look at me at verse 32. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man, who was mute, was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. Of course he did. Jesus was there, right? Do you ever feel like you you never have control over anything? Do you ever feel, church, that you never have control over anything? Good. I'm going to say good, because you don't have control over everything. Not having control over things makes us who we are. It makes us human. To live in this world is dangerous. There are things to fear. And the reason why we should fear in relation to this particular part of our text is we're in a wall. You may not see it with your eyes, but we are in a wall. Whether you choose to enlist with Jesus or not, you are in a war. A spiritual war. In which Satan and his demons want to destroy you. They want to destroy the people of God. Just imagine for a moment the fear within the mind of this man who's been oppressed by demons. Demons. The scarier thought is, would he even feel anything? He might as well have been in the same position as Jairus' daughter. He might as well have just been dead. We see here an individual so oppressed by demons, church, that he himself is he's probably ignorant of his own need for Christ. Yet what we see is, it's those who have fearless faith that bring him to Jesus. He doesn't come himself, he he has no means to respond to God. He's being oppressed by demons. And this still rings true today. There are still people in our community, whether you want to believe it or not, there are still people in our community today who are oppressed by demons. Now for many of us who have come from so far, the other side of things where we've, we've possibly been at churches where uh, there's been a disproportionate fear towards the power of the demonic realm that we now live our lives so apathetic to its activity. When in essence, if anything demonic manifests, it's probably more real than what we experience in the physical. It's a more accurate reflection of what is truly happening. In spite of how we feel about it, Jesus, what did he do? He cared enough about demonic oppression to dismiss demons from people who were oppressed by them. God wants us to face our fears. And he also wants us to be intentional, church. So this is uh, a call to action for us. He wants us to be bringing such people into the church. He wants us to give people hope. He wants us to have their fears relieved. He wants us to give them their voice back. Just as the mute man had his voice returned to him. You see this account, it paints another spiritual illustration. That but for the grace of God. But for the grace of God, you and I are here in our right minds. But for the grace of God. Let us never think for one moment that we could be so arrogant to think that this is beyond us. Just like Jairus' daughter, the demon-oppressed man, as I mentioned earlier, was as good as dead. He had no means to respond. He had no means to fix his faith upon Jesus And as we come to the end of this section, we see there are two responses, don't we, to Jesus' authority. There are those who marvel at Jesus' authority and there are those who scorn. Verse 33. And the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. So let us not assume the arrogance that the Pharisees had, who hated Jesus. They labelled him a blasphemer. They hated him because he gathered crowds and they they could only dream of. And they envied the honour that he received. Let us instead take the opportunity to marvel at God's great mercy for those who fix their faith fearlessly on Jesus. Not only was there ever anything seen like what he did, seen like what he did in Israel, there has never been since, nor now, nor will there ever be. Who is like the Lord our God? Strong to save, faithful in love? My debt is paid, and the victory won. The Lord is my salvation. We're going to sing that in a minute, but can you sing that? Do you truly believe that? There is no fear in faith. It's impossible. If Jesus has touched you, if Jesus has given you a voice, is that not enough of a reason to tell of his goodness to everyone, everyone that you meet? Or are you still fearful to share your faith with others? I mean, I'm encouraged by how many people come out when we go out to evangelism. I'd be even more encouraged if I saw more. Because I know there's many people in here who love Jesus, who love talking about him. Face your fears. Faith has no fear. You have a voice. You're not a mute, oppressed, demon-possessed man. So in conclusion, if you've even lost a loved one, or God forbid you've lost a child, as Jairus was about to, you don't need to carry the burden of that tragedy around with you. Even if you're captive to death, And the fear of such a thing happening to you. You can be confident. Regardless of what you're afraid of. Jesus has come. He has overcome death. He's bore our burdens. He's paid for the sins in full. Of those who place their faith in him. Bow the knee to him. He's able to free you from the fear of death and raise you to life. So if you're coming here today and you have no idea of the things of God, the gospel, church, Jesus, just know that the great leveller is we will all face death. Yet Jesus has the power to raise you to life. Again, does sickness isolate you from God's people in ways that are frustrating you? And we pray for those people who aren't with us today, who who would have loved to have made it to be with us. But on a more spiritual level, is your sin keeping you from God's people? Are you worried about what people will think about you? Well, the reality is Jesus is merciful. If you come to him in faith, There's no fear. There's no reason to fear. Don't you want to hear those words that were said to the man last week? Don't you want to hear the words that were said to the woman with the issue of blood this week? Take heart, my daughter. Your faith has made you well. Take heart, my son. Your faith has made you well. So again, what are the ways we as a church are using our fearless faith to welcome and offer the hope and the healing Jesus provides for the grieving, for the sick, for the blind, for the oppressed? How can we go into Stockwell with this good news to a people who are bound by fear? If you're fearful, what hope do you have for them? How can you go out and share the good news of Jesus' victory if you yourself are afraid of death and sickness? Finally, if you're here this morning and you're not trusting in Jesus, the warnings are there, aren't they? I don't need to say anything more. Death, disease, demons... All of those things are threats to you. Very serious threats. But you can take comfort. You can take comfort that God's already displayed his ultimate power over our fears. Through the life, the death, and the resurrection of his son, Jesus. So trust in Him. Jesus faced our greatest fear in death by dying on the cross for the penalty of our sin so that we might live. Jesus experiences the pain and the shame of crucifixion so that we will never experience the pain and the shame that we deserved, that we should have faced. Jesus experiences having His vision of God, His Father. Momentarily clouded when his father turns his face away from the sun because of our sin. Jesus experiences momentary physical defeat to demonic forces when he dies so that we don't have to. All we must do is trust in him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we we know, Lord, that there are many things that we are fearful of, whether we confess them openly or not. We're human beings. We're not self-sufficient. We're in need of our Creator, our God, to sustain us. And so, Lord... As we come away from here and we think about whatever we're going to do this afternoon, let us not leave here without having fearless faith in Jesus. Let us not leave here without having any fear of death. Let us not leave here without having any fear of disease. Let us not leave here without having any fear or without having any fear of demons. Lord, you are Lord of all. And in being Lord of all, we know that you are Lord over uh, nature as we looked at last week, Lord. But this week we see fearless faith helps us to overcome our fears, Lord. So we place our faith in you, Jesus. We ask, Lord, that you give us confidence in him and him alone. There are many distractions in this world, many things that will try and comfort us and and cause us to put off putting faith in Jesus. But Lord, I ask, Lord, that we, we would not put it off. I ask, Lord, that you'd use fear as a means of grace to bring us to you. And in doing so, Lord, we may be able to experience righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen.